Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor at Northwood right here in North Charleston, South Carolina, and I am so thankful that you are taking the time today to listen to this message, and I do hope and pray that what you are about to hear encourages you, blesses you, helps you to understand the Word of God better, and most importantly, reminds you of how much the God of all creation loves you. I think today's message is going to be a blessing to you, so thank you for listening. And if you're in the North Charleston area, we would love to have you on our campus any Sunday morning at either 9.30 or 11 o'clock. If you're not in the North Charleston area, you can always find us on the web, northwoodbaptist.com. You can visit our YouTube page. You can visit our Facebook page. You can live stream us every Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11. We would love for you to be our guest, either on campus or online. So you're welcome to join us anytime you'd like. We'd love to have you. I do hope that today's message is a blessing and encouragement to you, and I hope that today's message helps you connect faith to life. Psalm 145 this morning, Psalm 145. So right in the middle of uh, the Bible, you'll find the book of Psalms if you're new to the Bible. And we are ending this morning about a 20-week journey uh, through the book of Psalms. We, we have been studying various Psalms over the last few months together. And hopefully uh, this study has been helpful for you as you've learned with me uh, just how we are to approach God and worship Him in every season of life, no matter what life throws at us. And this morning we're in just a, just a really amazing and powerful Psalm. Psalm 145. If you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, that's okay because in the uh, seat rack in front of you, uh, right there in the seat in front of you down in the book rack, you'll find a copy of the Bible. Pick that Bible up and find Psalm 145 with us. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you, read it and learn about the God that loves you and desires a relationship with you. Psalm 145 is where we are spending our time together this morning. So go ahead and be finding that in your Bible. So so I've been a, a pastor for, many of you know, just a little over 20 years and, and that's, you know, it's, it's a long time. And so over those years of being a pastor now, there's lots of experiences that are unique to being a pastor. And and one of the the experiences that I've had lots of times is just being a part of funeral services. Obviously, over the years, I've had the opportunity to officiate or preach at a number of funerals, but I've also had the opportunity to attend a lot of funerals as well. And and I don't know what your experience is with funerals, if you've been to a lot or not, but but, you know, funerals are, are, are interesting and a time to reflect and all those kinds of things. And, and, and one funeral in particular sticks out to me. Uh, years ago, when I was at the, the church I pastor before I was here, we had a, a gentleman and his wife, they came and they, they visited our church for a while. And eventually they, they chose to be at another church for, uh, for some different reasons. But I got to know the man uh, fairly well while he was uh, attending our church. And a very eclectic man. He was, a, he, was a, he was an engineer. And apparently at one point he had served as an engineering professor somewhere. And he had uh, written a book on engineering. So he's very successful in his career as an engineer. He was an author. He wrote, he wrote fiction and he actually gave me a couple of books that he had written and just, just a really neat guy. I always enjoyed uh, talking with him. I went to his house a couple of times. He had this beautiful home that sat on a, a, a lake. I mean, just a really, really neat guy, neat family. Uh, but, but long story short, um, he got that news one day that, that he, had, uh, he had cancer. And so it was a pretty aggressive cancer and, and that cancer would eventually uh, take his life. And, and so... so what happened with him was what happens to lots of cancer patients. He was at home, or excuse me, he was at the hospital. He wasn't getting better. And, and so they sent him home on hospice. 
uh, to spend his last days on this earth at home. And, and so, so uh, when I went to the funeral years ago and, and the, the pastor who was officiating the funeral got up to speak about this man, he read something that this particular gentleman wrote shortly after he got home. This man was an author. He loved to write. And so, so when he got home, he just sat down and he wrote some things out as he was reflecting on his life. And, and it was really interesting to hear what he wrote. He, he wrote specifically about that ambulance ride home, knowing that this would be the last time that he would be out of his house. And so he talked about on the ambulance ride home, what it was like to, to pass some, some, some landmarks that he was going to see for the very last time in his life. He talked about seeing trees and flowers in bloom that, that he knew would be the last time he would ever see trees and flowers in this life again. He, he just reflected on, on what it was like, that final journey home, knowing that he would never walk out of the doors of his house again. It was sad. And then he would go on to write something like this, uh, that, that while he had a great life, he had some regrets. He said, why didn't I? Why didn't I spend more time serving the Lord? Why didn't I spend more time living for Jesus? He was a Christian, but as he looked back over his life in those final words that he wrote down, he realized that, that he had spent a lot of time pursuing things that were good things, career, writing, authoring books, but maybe he didn't spend enough time doing the most important thing, pursuing a relationship with Jesus. And so as he ended his life with his last words, uh, they were words of regret. Now, I believe that man is in, in heaven and I, I believe that he is with his heavenly father, but still, when I get to my final days, what I don't want to write as my final chapter in life are words of regret. I, I, I tell you that to tell you this. Here we are in, in Psalm 145. And Psalm 145 is, is one of the last Psalms in the book of Psalms. And it's the last Psalm in the book of Psalms written by King David. Now, now King David was not on his deathbed when he writes these words, but, but these words that King David writes, they are towards the end of his life. These are the last recorded words we have of David in the book of Psalms. And these words are important for us. And these words that David writes, they're, they're much different than the words that my friend wrote years ago before his death. And, and David probably had some regrets, right? I mean, he was an adulterer, he was a murderer, but at the end of his life, he, he doesn't give his regrets. At the end of his life, instead, he says something like this, every day I bless God. That's good. And that's who I want to be. And I, and I hope that's who you want to be as well. That as you get towards the end of your life, whenever that end might be, whether it's next year, 20 years from now, 75 years from now, at the end of your life, you can look back and say, every day I bless God. In the good days and the bad days and everything in between, in those moments of failure and sin, in those moments of victory, in every season, I want to bless God. God. This is a powerful passage of scripture. And, and, and I think that if we're going to be that kind of people that get to the end of our lives and we're able to say, I bless God every day, it's going to be because we understand two foundational truths that are all over this passage of scripture. How many of you, when you were a kid, when you sat around the dinner table, you said this blessing, God is great. God is good. 
let us thank him for our food. Those two truths, God is great and God is good, permeate this passage of scripture. And when you understand in your life, these two truths that that you sat around the dinner table when you were a child, God is great, God is good. When you begin to understand these two truths, you will be able to go through your life every single day up until your last day saying, I will bless the Lord. Psalm 145 is a very fitting way for us to end this series of sermons together because Psalm 145, it is a hymn of praise. So take your Bibles, Psalm 145, go and rise to your feet as we uh, read the word of God together. And I just wanna talk about these two truths this morning that I think are foundational for us, that God's greatness is unsearchable and God's goodness is abundant. Listen to what the Psalm says. I exalt you, my God, the King, and bless your name forever and ever. I will bless you every day. I will praise your name forever and ever. Here it is. The Lord is great. It's highly praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation will declare your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts. I will speak of your splendor and glorious majesty and your wondrous works. They will proclaim the power of your awe-inspiring acts, and I will declare your greatness They will give a testimony of your great goodness and will joyfully sing of your righteousness. Listen, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and great and faithful love. The Lord is good to everyone. His compassion rests on all he has made. All you have made will thank you, Lord. The faithful will bless you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom and will declare your might, informing all people of your mighty acts and of the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your rule is for all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his actions. The Lord helps all who fall. He raises up all who are oppressed. All eyes look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all his acts. The Lord is near all who call out to him. All who call out to him with integrity. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry for help and saves them. The Lord guards all those who love him, but he destroys all the wicked. My mouth will declare the Lord's praise. Let every living thing bless his holy name forever and ever. Father, thank you for this morning, for time to be in your word. And I thank you that right now in these moments, you are indeed speaking to your people. So help us to listen to your word carefully this morning. And Father, we want to be a people that every day of our lives, we can say like the psalmist says here in Psalm 145, I will bless your name for you are great and you are good. And so I pray, God, that you would help us this morning to yet again see how great and how good you really are. And that as we see your greatness and goodness this morning, it would lead us to want to live lives that are totally surrendered to your will. And ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Now, just by way of review, and I know you know this because you've stuck with me uh, through this series on the book of Psalms. And and we've said over and over again that the book of Psalms is divided into five different books. And each book of the Psalms has its own theme. And here we are at the end of Psalms in book five of the book of Psalms. And the theme of of book five of the book of Psalms is God is a sovereign king who will bring his Messiah to rule over this earth. It's hopeful. And, And the last six Psalms in the Psalter, they are positive. They are uplifting. They are psalms of praise. This is a fitting end to the book of Psalms. And in fact, I would say to you that Psalm 145 really is an introduction to the conclusion. 
145, 146, 147, 148, 149, 150, all six of these Psalms, they lift up God and they praise him for who he is and what he's doing among his people. These Psalms are Psalms of praise, which is interesting, right? Because as we walk through Psalms, we have walked through every season and emotion of life. We have walked through seasons of anxiety and worry. We've walked through in the Psalms, seasons of sadness and depression. We've walked through in the Psalms, seasons of feeling overwhelmed. We've seen all that. And now even in all that, as we get to the end of the Psalms, we discover what? That God is greatly to be praised. And so David starts by saying what? We just read it, but look again. I exalt you. Listen to what he says, my God, the King. Now you probably know this because you've been in church for a while or you went to Sunday school when you were a kid. You probably know that David was a pretty good king. Now he had his mess ups. He, he sinned against God. We've talked about that before. We looked at that in Psalm 51. But in spite of his mess ups, in spite of his failures, he wasn't a bad king. The kingdom was united around him. It expanded under his his reign and his leadership. David was a good king. But as he nears the end of his life and he reflects back on life, you see what he says. God, ultimately, you are the king. You are my God and my king. That's good, isn't it? Because David recognizes who really is in charge. He recognizes who's in authority. And it's not him. It's the true king, God himself. Now hold on to that idea. He says, I exalt you and bless your name forever and ever. I will bless you every day. Verse five, the Lord is great and is highly praised. His greatness is, circle the word, unsearchable. You know what that word unsearchable means, don't you? When you think about something that is unsearchable, it's something you can't find, something you can't figure out, something that is too great for you. And and David is essentially saying, God, your greatness, I, I cannot comprehend all of your greatness. Your greatness is unsearchable. Now, you and I, we use that word great a lot, don't we? To describe different things. You, you use the word great to describe experiences you have. Like we went to this place, we went on vacation over here and then it was a great vacation. You think about, you know, restaurants you've eaten at, man, we had a great meal there. Or, or you think about, you know, if you're a Gamecock fan, right? Last night, the Gamecocks finally played a great game. I mean, who would have thought that was even possible? And so we describe all kinds of things as great, don't we? And, and then we even describe people as great. It might be at a funeral that you hear someone like me get up and, and talk about someone who has, who has uh, gone on to be with the Lord. And we might say something like this. This person was a, a great man. She was a great woman. Or we think about, you know, athletes, right? Uh, we think about Michael Jordan was a great basketball player or LeBron James or Larry Bird or whoever your favorite basketball player is, man, they're great. And usually when we describe someone as great, when you call, you know, uh, um, a basketball player, great, or you call someone a great person, it's because they've excelled in a specific area. He's a great salesman. She's a great engineer. He's a great doctor because they have some competency. They've excelled in that area. And so we ascribe greatness to people who've accomplished something. You, you're with me. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. You follow me. But, 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 but think about this. Every great person really isn't that great. Because every great person has done what? Failed over and over and over again. Michael Jordan might be the greatest basketball player who ever lived, but how many shots did he miss, right? Even further, every great person has failed God 
Every person has failed God. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so while we might accomplish some great things, if you will, in this life, at the end of the day, no one is really great but God himself. This is what David is saying. God, you are great. Your greatness is unsearchable. Now, now watch me, hang with me. Listen, listen. When you think about the greatness of God, God is great in character. You understand what I mean when I say that? God is great in character. He is perfect in love. He is perfect in mercy. He is perfect in compassion. You live in a world, you live in a world where people can be downright mean and nasty, don't you? Maybe in even this week, you had someone who was mean and nasty to you, or maybe you were mean and nasty to someone yourself, right? God's not that way. God is what, church? He's kind to you. He's great in that. God is great in his character. God is not only great in his character. Now watch this. He is great in his authority. He is the king who is on the throne right now. He holds it all in his hands. And I know that we look at the state of our world and we get worried about politics. We get worried about Russia and Ukraine. We get worried about the prospect of nuclear war. We get worried about the economy. We get worried about all these different things taking place in our world. Now I understand that and I get that, but don't for a moment forget the fact that God is great in authority. He is over it all, right? And not only is he great in authority, he is great in power. David knows this because he had seen the power of God at work in his life. The nation of Israel knew this because they had seen the wonder working power of God at work in their nation. You know this too, because you've seen the power of God at work in your life. We could go around the room this morning and we could give testimony to the reality of God's power. You would say things to me like this, Tommy, you don't know where I was in life, but God. You don't know what I did, Tommy, but God. You don't know what I experienced, but God. God powerfully worked in my life. You see, when David talks about the greatness of God being unsearchable, he's saying that God is great in power. He's great in character. He is great in authority. God is great and greatly to be praised. Now, 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 now stop right there. I want you to just camp out with me on this truth for a moment that, that God's greatness, excuse my typo, but God's greatness is, is unsearchable. And so if you think about it just for you and me, what that means for us is that instead of fighting for greatness, I need to acknowledge true greatness. Let me explain what I mean by that. I think every one of us in this room, we're here this morning, I think anyway, because we believe that God is great. I don't think you would argue with me about that. I think you believe this morning that God is great and greatly to be praised. But, but I, I think there's a problem. While you think that God is great or while you know God is great, you also think you're great too. You follow? Now, you might not say that. You might not even, you know, kind of consciously articulate that in your mind, but you do. You know how I know I think you think you're great? By the decisions that you make on a daily basis, right? Because we have a tendency to make decisions based on what? Our ability, our opinions, our intellect, right? And, and our decisions, they, they, they come down to something like this, right? I can do it. Whatever it is, I can do it. I can make it happen. I don't need to pray about this. I don't need to seek God's word for counsel. I don't need to get around other brothers and sisters in Christ to give me wisdom. I can figure this out. I've got this. And whenever you have that, 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 that train of thought where you end up saying, I can do this on my own. I've got this. I can figure it out. Do you know what you're doing? You are essentially saying you are greater than God. 
that you know better than he does, that you're smarter than he is, uh, that you have more power and ability and wisdom than God does. And so, so if you are stepping away from God and saying, God, I've got this, I can do this, you are exerting not his greatness, but your greatness. And then it happens. Come on now, you know this is how it happens. Then you find out what? You're not so great. You thought you could do it. You thought you could handle it. You thought your opinion was enough. You thought your education was enough. You thought your training was enough. You thought your life experience was enough. And then it's not. And then you find yourself in a mess because you find out what? You couldn't do what you thought you could do. Are you with me? Everybody tracking with me? You thought you could do it, but then you find out you can't. And then what do you start doing? You start getting anxious. You start worrying. You start stressing, right? And come on, now let's be honest. And, and I, I want to be careful in the way that I say this and I want to make sure you understand what I am saying. But I know this morning that, that there, there are many of us and sometimes myself included that walk into a room like this full of what? Full of stress, full of anxiety, full of worry, full of fear. Why? Because we've been so busy trying to exert our greatness. We've been saying, I've got this, that we've forgotten God is great over our lives and that he is in control and not us. And so maybe the reason why that you're constantly worried and anxious and stressed out is simply because of the fact that you're exerting your greatness. I've got this, I can do this instead of relying on the greatness of God. And so just acknowledge it. You're fighting for greatness. Every time you step away from the will of God in your life, every time you don't trust him, every time you don't seek his word for counsel, you are fighting for your own greatness. God, I've got this. But think about this. Instead of panicking, I need to do my job. Because here's what happens when you find out that you're not as great as you think you are, that you can't do it, that you don't have the ability, you start panicking. Instead of panicking, right? Do your job. What's your job? David tells us, bless God. Every day, worship God. Every day, recognize that he is great and you're not, that your life is in his hands. Every day, rest in his grace. Every day, let him have control. Every day, listen to his voice, right? Instead of panicking, do your job. Walk by faith. Instead of panicking, right? Do your job. Tell others about what he's doing in your life. Did you notice it? Now, we got to move quick, but look at what he says over and over again. You come down and you look at verse four. One generation will declare your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty works. I will speak of your splendor and glorious majesty and your wondrous works. They will proclaim the power of your awe-inspiring acts. You come down and he, he says it even more. You get down to verse 11. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom. Do you notice it? David talks a lot. Now watch this. David talks a lot about talking about God because here's the deal. You talk about what you think is great. You talk about what you, and think about this too. Not only do you talk about what you think is great, you also talk about what you think is not so great. You talk about, right, man, that, that ball game last night was great. That restaurant we went to, man, it was great. Man, that person over there, she's great, he's great. You talk about that. And then you talk about what's politics, not great, right? It's terrible. And you start talking about your opinion. You, you have a tendency to talk about what you think is great and what you think is not great. And I can tell you, based on what's coming out of your mouth, if you think God is great or not, because if you really believe that God is great, you're gonna be like David. Bless the Lord. Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about his grace at work in my life. Let me tell you about how I trust him and how I see him faithfully provide in my life. You see, I think I'm convinced I'm convinced 
that we talk about God far too little. And why is that? If we really believe that he's great and there's none greater than him, shouldn't, shouldn't his name cross our lips in praise all the time? Shouldn't we be telling the next generation, trust in the Lord? Shouldn't we be telling our coworkers, trust in the Lord? But, but the thing is, and you know this, and, and this is just a sad reality. We know that God is great, but yet we are scared to talk about him because of what someone else might think about us. Because, you know, that we don't talk religion, right? If you believe that God is great, how can you keep your mouth silent about him? You see, God's greatness is unsearchable, but not only does this psalm teach us that God's greatness is unsearchable, this psalm also teaches us that God's goodness is abundant. Look at what the text says. I love this verse. Come on down. You, you, you see these first seven verses where, where David is talking about the greatness of God and, and you come down and look at what it says in verse eight. Please, please, please underline this verse in your Bible. Some of you might not like to write in your Bible. Make an exception this one time. Look at what it says in, in 145.8. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and great in faithful love. Let me tell you why I tell you to underline that verse. Because this is not the first time in the book of Psalms where this statement shows up. Several times in the book of Psalms, do you read these very same words? The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and great and faithful love. Now, I don't know if you remember this or not, but several weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 103. And in Psalm 103, we read and studied these very same words. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and great and faithful love. And I don't know if you remember this or not, but those very words that I'm reading to you right now, they're a quotation from Exodus chapter 34. You remember that? You remember the story. Moses is on Mount Sinai. God is giving him the commands, writing them on the tablets. And, and while Moses is on top of the mountain, the people are down at the foot of the mountain doing what? Worshiping a golden calf. Moses comes down and sees what's going on. And in anger, he chunks the tablets and, and, and the tablets break. He goes back up the mountain and God rewrites the tablets. And then God says, Right? Moses didn't imagine this. Uh, Moses didn't, didn't you know, conjure this up. Uh, Moses didn't think God might have said, no, God speaks to Moses. And God says, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and great and faithful love. Talk about the goodness of God. Because in that moment, when God's people, whom he brought out of Egypt, he brought across the Red Sea, brought into the wilderness, gave them manna by day, gave them water from a rock, led them by fire and cloud. In that moment, when they rebelled against him and said, no, we're gonna worship a golden calf that we made. God should have wiped them off the face of the earth. But he didn't. Why? Because God is good. He's slow to anger, compassionate, faithful in love, Right? goes on and says, the Lord is good to everyone. Now, when you think about great, you think about maybe that person who's excelled in something, who, who's accomplished something. When you think about good, what do you think about? Because we all have opinions about what is good, right? I mean, I, I think Chick-fil-A is good. I think the Georgia Bulldogs are good. I think and you might have different opinions than I do because we all have different opinions about what is good. What is good to you is something that you're willing to approve of. When you're willing to say, oh, yeah, that's a good thing. You see what I'm saying? 
So, so some of you know this because I've told you these kinds of things before that, that, that I am limited in my abilities, right? Like I play the piano and I preach and that's about all I got. You know, I'm not, I'm not very mechanical. I, I'm not good with, I've got a toolbox at home, but that toolbox has like a hammer, uh, a few screwdrivers and some other things. I don't even know what they are, right? That's about, that's about it. I mean, that's kind of the extent. And so, so that's why I call people like you when something goes wrong in my house. Can you please help me? You know, because those are just not, th- I'm growing. I'm watching lots of YouTube videos, but I'm still not confident in my ability uh, to fix things, to construct things and, and all that kind of stuff. My, my wife is probably a little bit better than I am, but, but you know, she's, she's uh, I mean, we, we both have some room to grow, right? And so, 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 so I got a text message from my wife this week. Now, now, now Stacy and I, we live down the street from some of our church members. I don't know if you know Dave and Jennifer Gettings. They're part of our church family. He does the fireworks, all that kind of stuff. And so we're on this group thread with them. We text back and forth about stuff going on in the neighborhood. Hey, we're coming down to see you. Can you bring us this? That. We're just good neighbors, right? We love them. I hope they love us, that kind of thing. And so Stacy sent a text message out to, to the three of us. And this is what she asked. It's kind of odd to me. Okay, random question. Do y'all have a saw that someone like me could use without inflicting bodily harm or injury. Don't be scared. I have an idea. Okay. We don't own a saw. I don't think unless, I mean, maybe she has, but I don't think Stacy's ever used a saw. And, and when I think saw and my wife together, I do think inflicting bodily injury or harm, but she had an idea. So if she had an idea, obviously what Stacy thought was Good idea. But when I read the text in my office on Monday and I saw saw and bodily harm, I thought, bad idea. And so all of a sudden, and we hadn't even had a conversation about what the idea was yet. I had no idea what she was thinking. I just knew that it involved a saw and it was a bad idea. Now, David and Jennifer both know that, that we are not the most talented when it comes to using tools. And so David sent a text back and here's what he says. Skill saw, jigsaw, hand saw, chop saw. What you thinking? Like, you know this is a bad idea. Why would you support this, right? So I go home and I find out the idea. We had a hurricane, you know that. And, and so Stacy had collected some logs. She was going to saw the logs and make Christmas ornaments. <laughs> Terrible idea. So we had an argument, we had a discussion at the house about this idea. She was convinced it was a good idea. I was convinced it was a bad idea. My role as a husband is to what? To encourage my wife. I didn't, right? And so now not only am I finding out that, that, that she thinks that my idea is a bad idea and that her idea is a good idea, I'm also not that great of a husband, right? Because I'm not encouraging her in her ability to chop up wood, right? And so, so all that to say, we had a, a different perspective that day of what a good idea was and what a bad idea was. You wanna know the result? That Saul's probably coming to my house. You understand what I'm saying? But just, just good, bad. We all have different opinions about what's good and what's not good. But if you're in this room this morning and you are a follower of Jesus, here's what we can all agree on, that God is good. He's always been good and always will be good. You think about me, I have a tendency, right? To make bad decisions. I have a tendency not only to make bad decisions, I have a tendency sometimes to say the wrong thing, right? Ask my wife, she knows that full well. You do too. You have the tendency to make bad decisions. You have the tendency to have bad ideas. You have the tendency to to say the wrong things. God has never made a bad decision. Think about that. You might think he has. 
You look at your life and it hasn't turned out like you, you thought it would. You just, God, come on now, what are you doing? I'm just telling you, God's never made a bad decision. Every decision he makes is good. Every decree he's ever uttered is good. Everything God has ever done and will ever do is good. And it's for his glory and ultimately for your good. God is good. And so what David does, and, and we gotta move fast. Don't look at your watch, okay? Look what, but look what goes on. David says several things. Look, verse eight, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. Look at verse nine. The Lord is good to who? Everyone. I mean, he's good to you, especially if you're a follower of Jesus because you're going to inherit, inherit eternal life. But God is good to everyone. We, we call this in theological circles, we call this common grace. That this morning, everyone had the opportunity to wake up. That's good. This morning on this earth, everyone had the opportunity, right? To see a sunrise, to see a sunset. We could go on and on and on. In a sense, everyone on the face of the planet this morning, if they are breathing, is experiencing in some sense the goodness of God on their lives. Because if what God could do, and God would be perfectly right to do so. God in this moment could wipe everyone out, but he doesn't. He's good to everyone. And he's especially good to his people, right? You come down and look at what it says in verse 10. All you have made will thank you. So, so maybe if you're reading the ESV, it says all the works of your hands will thank you. This idea that even creation knows that God is good. You think about Romans 8 that says that, that creation is, is crying out, longing for the day of redemption, that God will restore the goodness of this world that we've broken, you see? But look what it says. Elsa says, the faithful will bless you. Good. We bless God because we know he is good. Creation, the rocks cry out because creation knows that God is good. You come on down, look what it says. You see the end of verse 13, the Lord is faithful in all his words. He's good, gracious in all his actions. He's good. And then what David does in these remaining verses is he simply shows us some ways that God is good. Look at what it says, just quickly. Verse 14, the Lord helps all who fall. He raises up all who are oppressed. Now just think about that statement for a moment. People who are in power, powerful people, right? Generally speaking, powerful people don't care about the oppressed. But God, who is all powerful, certainly cares about the oppressed. If you were to go to Walmart here on Rivers Avenue this morning, you're gonna see what there? You're gonna see some homeless people sleeping in the parking lot. Listen, God cares about them. Just like he cares about you, he cares about them. That person standing on the side of the street asking you for money. God made that person in his image. God cares about that person who's feeling oppressed. You see, God lifts up the heads of those who are oppressed. But come on, look at what else he says. Verse 15, all eyes look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. Now, now, now think about it. I, I know there are issues in our world of, of world hunger. I get all that, but, but just generally speaking, think about what David's saying. You get to eat because of God. The sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. The rains come to the righteous and the unrighteous. The unrighteous can grow crops just like the righteous can. The unrighteous can eat just like the righteous can. You see, God provides food for everyone. He's good. Or you think about this, you come on down. Look at this, it's so good. Verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all his acts. The Lord is near all who call out to him. 
All who call out to him with integrity. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. This is, this is so good. Because right now, right now in this moment as we're in this room, God is king over his universe. Christ is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. This morning, when you got up out of your bed, you had the opportunity to get on your face before God and pray. God, today, help me make some wise choices that are in accordance to your will. Help me to live for you today. And you know what? When you began to pray today, God heard you. Every single one of you who prayed this morning, God heard. And today, if you'll take time to come before his presence in prayer, God will hear you. Try that anywhere else, right? Go, go try to see your congressman. Call up Tim Scott. I'm, I'm sure he's a great man, right? Try to get an appointment with him. It's an act of Congress, right? To get an appointment with a senator. Try it. Or, or and I, know, I don't know what you think about all of our politicians. I know you think some good things and probably a lot of bad things. I get all that. But go try to, to make an appointment with the president of the United States or any world leader for that matter. It ain't gonna happen. You don't have that kind of access, my friend, because you're a son and a daughter of the God of all creation. You have access, immediate, intimate access. Anytime you want, you can come before the presence of God and you can know that he hears your prayers. Or think about this. You come down, look what else he says. Verse 20, the Lord guards all those who love him, but he destroys all the wicked. My mouth will declare the Lord's praise and let every living thing bless his holy name forever and ever. This is so good, right? Because you think about it. Not only does God hear our prayers, not only does he provide for us, right? But, but think about what David's saying. He protects you. He protects his people. You understand this. You, you know what Romans 8 says. In, in Romans chapter 8, Paul writes, and what does he say? Who then shall separate us from God? Famine, nakedness, peril, sword, distress. No, no, no. In all of these things, we are, we are more than conquerors in him who loves us. I am convinced that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, or anything else in all of God's creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or think about what John says. John says that, that Jesus said that no one will ever be able to snatch us out of his hands. My friend, you are secure in your relationship with Christ Jesus, you know that your salvation is protected by God, you see? Why? Come on now, because God is good. You're not. You like to think you are. You like to think you're great. But there is one who is ultimately great, God. And there is one who is ultimately good, God. And this God who is great and this God who is good has invited every single one of us into a relationship with him. But, but here's the problem. And we're gonna be done with this. Here's the problem. Let me show you this truth. God's goodness is abundant. Go back up. God's goodness is abundant, right? But there are some subtle lies that you're prone to believe that take your eyes off of the goodness of God. Not only there's some subtle lies. Now watch this. There's some secret trust that take your eyes off of the goodness of God. What do I mean? You have a tendency to think, I can be good. You have a tendency to think, life can be good. And while there are certainly things about this life to enjoy, you live in a broken world. And, and while there are certainly some accomplishments you can have in this life, and while you can progress in your faith and your sanctification and become more like Christ as you walk with him, there is ultimately one who is good, and it's not you. 
You see, there's some lies that we believe. Let me, let me, let me show you what these lies are. My worth is determined by how good I am. I'm good. I can be good. I can, I can do enough good things to impress God and impress others. I can do enough good things to feel good about myself. I can do enough good things to have worth and value. But your worth and value is not based on your goodness. Your worth and value is not based on your performance or what you've done. Your worth and value is simply based on the love and grace of God shown towards you in Christ Jesus, your Lord. You see what I'm saying? Or think about this. You often have this thought, if life can be good, if I can avoid my problems instead of dealing with my problems, life can be good. I want good and I can have a good life and that good life can come what? If I just overlook all the problems I've created by my own rebellion with God. Come on now, you've been there, you've done it. Because what your sin has done and what my sin has done is that has brought forth consequences, broken relationships, right? We try to just... Sweep it under the rug. Pretend it didn't happen. Like it doesn't exist. We try to avoid it because I, if I can avoid it, then my life will be good. But that's not how it works. In the goodness of God, what does God do? He exposes those problems to say, hey, I've got a better way for you. Make it right with me. Make it right with others. Or think about this. If God were good, wouldn't he ignore my sin? I mean, after all, he forgives them all. Why does he keep bringing them back up? Why does he keep convicting me of my sin? Because he loves you and he wants you to walk in fellowship with him. He wants to change you. Or think about this. If God were good, he would accept me for who I am. I mean, come on now. Why wouldn't he? I mean, why can't I? I mean, if God wants me to have a good life, right? I mean, why not let me have the lifestyle that I want to have? Why not let me, let me, you know, pursue this, this kind of lifestyle or this kind of lifestyle. I mean, why can't God just accept me for who I am? Because God wants to change you and make you into someone that's like his son, Jesus Christ. He wants to challenge you to be someone that, that you're currently not. Or think about this. I mean, others are more messed up than I am, so I must be pretty good. And we start to compare ourselves, right? I mean, they got problems over here. They got problems. My problems aren't those problems, right? But, but it's not about your goodness. Because again, think about it. Ultimately, there's one who is good and it's not you as God himself. Or think about this. Being happy is the most important thing in life. If I can be happy, then life will be good. But you know this. God's not about your happiness. He's about your joy in Christ Jesus. It's not about your circumstances all working out to give you an easy life. He's, he's concerned about you finding true and lasting joy, not in this world, but in a life with Christ Jesus. Think about this. Life should be easy and fair, but since it's not, God must not be good. But God never promised you an easy or fair life. He promised you himself, his presence, his joy, his grace. His goodness. You see, there's some subtle lies that we tend to believe sometimes. That I can be good if, or life can be good if. If this goes this way or that goes that way, then it will be good. And we forget that there is only, only one who is good and only one who can help us to experience true goodness. And true goodness is a relationship with him, surrendered to him. Or think about this, and we're done. 
I believe these subtle lies. And I also have some secret trust. It goes back to what we said about greatness a bit ago, this fight. I can trust myself. I can trust my feelings. I can trust my thoughts. I can trust my opinions. I can trust my ability. If I trust those things, then life will be good. And it's just not true. And so listen, listen. This psalm gives us wonderful theological truths that you probably already knew before you walked in these doors this morning. God is great. God is good. But listen, these theological truths, they get really, really personal. Because here's the reality. Some of us in this room are ascribing greatness to something other than God. Some of us in this room are ascribing greatness to ourselves. I got it. And because of that, ascribing greatness to ourselves, we're lacking in trusting the God who loves us, who is good. Some of us are believing him subtle lies this morning, that life will be good when, when, instead of trusting that God is good right now. You see what I'm saying? This gets really, really personal because while we believe that God is great and God is good, oftentimes our lives don't reflect that reality. But when you get to the point in life, when you can say in every season, regardless of the circumstances, I will bless the Lord because he is my God and my great King, then you'll begin to understand that you understand the greatness and goodness of God. And so as we close our time this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is a message that I think should call us to repent. Repent of of making ourselves greater than God. Repent of of seeking goodness somewhere else other than God. If you're not a follower of Jesus, oh, my friend, taste and see that the Lord is good. Because here's what happens. The book of Psalms, in a lot of ways, it ends where it began. Psalm 1 and 2. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the path of sinners, right? Who meditates on the law. Psalm 2.6, God says, I will anoint my king, install him on Mount Zion. Psalms opens with this prophetic word from God. I'm going to uh, install my king. You get to the end of Psalms, Psalm 145. David says what? I will bless my God, my king. I'm not the king, but there is a king, a king who sits on his throne, a king who 2,000 years ago entered into human history and took on flesh, a king who loves you so much that he did for you what you could not do for yourself, a king. What other king would do this? A king who lived the life that you could not live, perfect in every way. A king who then went to a cross and suffered the death that you deserve, took the punishment for your sins upon himself, was crucified in your place. A king who three days later rose from the dead, defeating sin and death so that you could have the hope of a relationship with God and life eternal with him. A king who proved that he is not just a man, but the God man who has come to save your soul. A king who ascended back to his father, who now sits at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning over his creation. A king who is going to return for his people soon and very soon 
and call us home with him and bring us into a new heaven and a new earth. The book of Psalms starts with a king. The book of Psalms ends with a king. And this is the king who today is inviting you, if you do not know him, into a relationship with himself. If you repent, if you'll turn from your rebellion, confess your sins and give your life to him. We're gonna have a moment of invitation. I'm gonna be down front. If you would like to talk about how to place your faith in Jesus Christ this morning, I'd love to talk with you about how you can know Christ. Come on down front. If if you're watching online and you want to uh, begin a relationship with Jesus Christ today, you're gonna see uh, a number on the screen, text name Jesus to that number, and and we'll reach out to you real soon and help you today begin a relationship with Jesus. If if you are um, uh, a follower of Jesus, but this morning is just a morning of repentance for you, to begin to place your eyes back on the greatness and goodness of God, Cry out to God this morning. He is near. However God leads you to respond in these moments, you respond to him. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for time and your word. Thank you that you're a good and great king. Our eyes are on you. We love you, Lord. If there's one person in this room this morning who does not have a relationship with Jesus, I pray that person will come this morning trusting you as Lord. And for those of us who are followers of yours, may we be overwhelmed not by the struggles of this life, but may we be overwhelmed by the greatness and goodness of a God who loves us. All praise be to you. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen. You come this morning to trust Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. You come to unite with our church family. You come to repent. You come. How are you on this morning? You come as your time invitation.